Hi, welcome to this week's Seacoast Vineyard Podcast, coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We hope this message will touch your life in a meaningful way and that you'll be encouraged in your journey with God. Good to see everybody this morning, and uh, this is your first time here. Welcome. Uh, if this is your church, welcome. Checking us out, welcome. Welcome to the Vineyard. We've been in a series that I've called Mega Myths, and it's been a series where I'm trying to look at some of the, I guess we'd say some of the, I'm calling them myths, some of the things we pick up in the church, some beliefs that we seem to pick up or we've been told along the way that actually set us up for for great disillusionment. And uh, so we're making our way through this. We're in part seven today. Brian Zahn wrote a book uh, a few years back that was called this, Unconditional, The Call to Radical Forgiveness. And in his book, he said this, he said that if Christianity is about anything, it is about what? Forgiveness. Is there anything more powerful than forgiveness? Is there anything more precious that can be given whether you give it to someone or if someone gives that forgiveness to you, I don't know that there's anything more life-changing and freeing than to be able to extend that or to receive it. And, uh, you know, if, you live in, if you've lived with anyone or if you've had any friendship, if you've had any relationship at any time in your life, you are going to have an opportunity to practice forgiveness. And they are going to have an opportunity to practice it with you. And so how we deal with this makes all the difference in the world. I'm taking on a myth today that uh, maybe, I don't know where we picked this up along the way. I guess it's just a slogan. But there are some scriptures that seem to infer that this, uh, this slogan is true. And that's what I want to look at today. And that is the myth of forgiving means forgetting. Forgiving means forgetting. What is the old saying? Forgive and forgive and forget. Uh, I've told this story about this particular person before, but there's a lady named Corey Ten Boone. Uh, you have uh, maybe you've seen the movie, The Hiding Place. It's an old movie. It's a wonderful movie. If you get an opportunity to get it from Netflix or somewhere, uh, it's worth watching. Corey uh, was in Holland. She's a was a Dutch, and she's in Holland during the Nazi occupation. Her whole family had been taken captive because she and her family were protecting Jewish people in their home. They would bring them in, and they had a hiding place in their attic, and they would hide the Jewish people there and then try to smuggle them out and get them to safety. Well, their family was finally uh, outed, and they were taken to Ravensbrück, one of the concentration camps there. Uh, Corey lost her whole family at that horrible place. In 1946, 1947, uh, just, just a little bit of time after the war was over, the Lord did such a work in Corey's life with forgiveness that she began to preach all over Europe uh, this radical concept of forgiving even your enemies or forgiving what people had done to you. And she was in a church in Munich, Germany. And Munich, in this short period of time after the war was... If you, some of you know your history. You've seen some of the, uh, the movies, uh, documentaries. It was just devastating. The place was in horrible shape. And, and so she's there in a meeting in 1947, and, and she's preaching this radical message 
of forgiveness. And she says, it was truly what they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed out land. And I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind. I like to think that there, that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, and silence collected their wraps, and silence left the room. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation. And this man had been a guard at Ravensbrook. Now he was in front of me, his hand thrust out. As he says, a fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prison, prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fräulein, again the hand came out. Will you forgive me? As I stood there, I whose sins had again and again to be forgiven and could not forgive, Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? I could not have been, could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus said, neither will my Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I'd had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi Brutality. As I still, as I stood there, there were, with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help! I prayed silently. Well, I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling, Lord. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. 
I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Wow. I wish all the stories of abuse and of so many unkind and horrible things done to people could end in such a way where it's this magnificent, miraculous sense of forgiveness floods our souls and floods every situation, but we know that that's not always the way it goes. There was another man, a man named Simon Wiesenthal, and maybe you've seen some documentaries on him. I watched one not too long ago. An amazing man, a man who did so much good in his life. He died back in 2005 at the age of 97. He also was in a concentration camp during World War II. They had him working as a young man in the hospital, and one day they came and got him, and they said, they took him and grabbed him, and they brought him into a room where there was a Nazi soldier laying on a bed, and he's all burnt up and mangled, and he's dying, and they brought him into the room, and then everyone left. And this young 21-year-old SS soldier, a man named Carl Seidel, a man who had been a part of rounding up 300 men, women, children, infants, putting them in a house, locking the door, and burning it to the ground. This man now was dying, facing death at this moment, and this is what he said when Simon, they brought Simon in and parked him right by his bed. He said, I am left here with my guilt. In the last hours of my life, you are here with me. I do not know who you are. I only know that you are a Jew, and that is enough. I know that what I have told you is terrible. In the long nights while I have been waiting for death, time and again, I have longed to talk about it to a Jew and beg forgiveness from him. Only I didn't know if there were any Jews left. I only know what I'm asking is almost too much for you, but without your answer, I cannot die in peace. Simon looked at him in silence, turned around, and walked out. And who could blame him? Who could blame him? Years later, in one of his books, he asked this question. He said, what should I have done? What should I have done? And then he did a kind of a survey, and he asked friends, he said, what would you have done if you had been in my place? And he got these responses. Uh, Sixteen people responded with, yes, you should have forgiven him. And 13 of those people were Christians, and three of them were Buddhist. Nine said they just weren't sure what to do. Twenty-eight said that he absolutely should not have extended forgiveness to that man. All of them were either Muslims, Jews, or atheists. Forgiveness is indeed a very, very difficult thing. But if there's anything that we Christians, those of us who follow Jesus, should be known by, it's our amazing ability to forgive. But tied to that forgiveness is forgetting that, those atrocities, forgetting the things that have been done to us. Is that tied to our forgiving? Our scripture today is Jeremiah 31, 34. A text, and this is, you'll hear a few through this as we take a look uh, at this subject. Jeremiah 31, 34, we read, No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them 
to the greatest, declares the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. For I will forgive their wickedness and will, and will remember their sins no more. Lord, I pray for your grace this morning. Pray you breathe life on your word. Holy Spirit, thank you for being here. Thank you in the worship that as we sing about our Savior, as we sing to our Savior, to our Creator, we thank you and we committed ourselves anew to you. We know that your presence comes in a very special way when we do that. And Lord, I know that your presence also comes when we look at your word, when we with sincere hearts break open the Bible and we say, teach us. And so, Lord, we ask for help in understanding your word. Breathe life on it. We pray, Holy Spirit, come, teach us, free us, teach us what it means to forgive and help us with this saying to forgive, that we should forgive and forget. Help us understand that, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. I believe Corey was quoting the scripture over in Micah 7, 19, when she was talking about the sea of forgetfulness and and all of that. And in Micah 7, 19, it says, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the seas. Now, when I first became a a follower of Christ, and I may, we may have even heard this from her because we heard Corey speak back in the 70s. And I don't know if it was her or who it was, but maybe you've heard this too, that God hurls our sins into the sea of forgetfulness and then he puts a no fishing sign up. And I was taught that early on in my Christian life that all the things that we've done wrong and our sins, that God has indeed trampled them underfoot and he's taken them and he's hurled those iniquities into that ocean, and now he's put up a no fishing sign. So every time I'm reminded or think about some sin uh, and getting kind of bummed out about it, and I'm thinking I go back there and I see that sign, no fishing, don't go back to it. No fishing, no fishing. Or maybe it's the quote in Psalms 103, 11 through 12. Psalm 103, 11 through 12, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God has forgiven us and hurled our sins to the ocean. Does he now have spiritual amnesia? Does he now not remember them? Is that what happens? And God hurls them and now he can't recall our sins anymore. And therefore that has implications on us because... If God doesn't remember, if God can't remember, if he has a spiritual amnesia, he's going through something like this, and he can't remember our sins, I'll bet you do. I mean, do we know something God doesn't know? If God has forgiven somebody's sin that has sinned against us, we know it, but he doesn't know it anymore. I like tension. It builds some tension in me. And in my theology, when I think of how God forgives us, has God forgotten Peter's betrayal? Does he not remember that? Does he not remember Paul persecuting the church? Paul didn't forget it. (laughs) Kept bringing it up, and he remembered what God had forgiven him of. He remembered that. What does this mean? Forgiving means forgetting. And what about you? I know you've tried. You've got things that people have done things, said things maybe to you, and it comes up and suddenly you feel this fear or this anger or anguish or something rushes into your 
body and into your mind and your emotions are suddenly taken hostage by it and you grab your thoughts and you go, I'm not going to think about that, I'm not going to think about that, I'm not going to think about that. It's kind of like, don't think about the elephant in the room. Everybody now is thinking about the elephant in the room. The more you try not to say it doesn't exist, the more you think about it. But hey, God has forgiven me and forgotten my sins. You should do the same thing, right? How many times have we said this, especially in marriage, right? Like we offend each other, we've done something, we've messed up. That does happen, doesn't it, in marriage? Happens in friendships. I, I told the first service, I said, hey, you, how, how quick does that take to, to realize you're going to have those times? Maybe you wake up on the honeymoon the next morning, like at six hours of bliss. And then the next morning, suddenly you're having to learn to forgive. All of a sudden. How many times do we say to our mate, God has forgiven me and forgotten it. Why can't you? Why do you keep bringing this up? Didn't I ask you to forgive me? Doesn't God say forgive and forget? Come on, forget it. God's taking care of it. I mean, forgiveness is such a powerful, beautiful thing. It's grace in action. It's redemption in the flesh. It's mercy on display. It's the most generous gift of God. But is that forgetting out of reach for us? Is that what God expects for us to forget that? Even John Calvin, the great reformer, said that to forgive is willingly to cast from the mind wrath hatred, desire for revenge, but also willingly to banish to oblivion the remembrance of injustice. To banish from remembrance. Remember it no more. So what, God, do you want from me? What do you expect of me? Some of you sitting in this room this morning have had horrible things done to you. You've experienced things that you never should have experienced. There are pains, there are deep memories, there are things inside of you, and is God now telling you, hey, forget about it, forget it, forget about it, forget about it, you know, don't, don't do it. I want to look at four ways and look at maybe a, the whole text of the scripture this morning and looking in this whole issue, does for, forgiving mean forgetting? So you've got a little handout there inside of your brochure that they give you when you come in the door, there's a little fill in there, you've got a pen if you want to track along with me. As we look and try to expand on that text of where God will remember their sins no more. Your first one there, your first fill in, all of these begin with remember. Remember because after all God said we'll remember their sins no more. The first part of this whole thing of forgiving, uh, one of the steps in this that helps me and I hope it helps you is over in Luke 17.3. And that is this, remember that there are times when we need to confront people with what they've done to us. There are times when we don't forgive and forget that we need to confront people. This is Jesus speaking, Luke 17, 3. So watch yourselves. If your brother sins, forget about it, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. Uh, that's kind of funny to me. And uh, keeps coming back like, dude, you just did it again. Oh, did I? Man, forgive me, please. I'm so sorry. And you got to go, okay. 
And like three hours later, same thing happens. You do this with your kids, right? I mean, it's like, <laughs> you experience this. You do it with your mate. Sometimes you have to confront. We don't just sweep it under the rug. We don't simply let it go. We have to rebuke. That's one of the ways that the church body grows up. It's one of the ways we grow up. Everybody in here has got blind spots. You know what that means? I mean, we've got... Pl- We can't see behind us. We can't see certain parts of our personality. But other people can. I know you think you're so totally actualized. And you know yourself so well. Because I feel like that most of the time. I mean, I know myself well. I I, I know all my faults. No, you don't. No, you don't. And neither do I. And it takes those around us in the body and in family that love us enough to point these things out at times and to rebuke us so we can do the beautiful work of repentance. That is not a sad thing. That is a glorious thing. Repentance is an act of worship. It says to the Lord God, you know better than I and you have the power to help me change, Lord. Please, work on my personality. This part of me, help me change. Become more the man or woman of God that you want me to be. Do you confront people for every little detail? No. Look, we, we offhandedly say things sometimes and we don't mean it. And we shoot people, you know, one another breaks. I like one translation over in the epistles where he basically says, put up with one another in the church. Put up with one another. Sometimes we just have to put up with one another. That's an act of grace. But there are times when there are certain issues that keep coming up and we need to confront it. But God doesn't expect us to be punching bags, floor mats, to sit there and let people abuse us, walk over us, take advantage of us over and over again. There are times when you must confront that. Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross, looked down at the soldiers that had crucified him and said what? What did he say? Father, forgive them. Right. For they know not what they do. Well, they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know he was the son of God. They didn't know that. They didn't know that he was Messiah. They didn't know. But if you go over to Matthew 18, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And I mean, he he gets rather pointed. Nice, gentle Jesus. And he gives this parable of the unmerciful servant where he talks about what the kingdom's like and this one servant owed his master an enormous amount of money. And the master, remember we walked through this parable back a few months ago. And he owed his master an enormous amount of money and the master had mercy on him and forgave him. Well, as soon as this servant gets out, he goes to the other guys, the other servants who owed him just a little bit and he starts throwing them in jail, telling them to give him what he's due. What does the master do about that? Now, I'm going to tell you, this is a heavy parable and I I don't theologically have all this worked out. But he says in verse 32, the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. That's one of those things that we just, just don't read that one. Let's go on over to... Let's don't talk about that one. 
Sometimes we need to be confronted, and we need to confront others. And your second fill-in there is taken from this Jeremiah passage of how God dealt with this, and that is we can remember their sin no more. Remember their sin no more. Now, this is different than spiritual amnesia or emotional amnesia. There's nothing in there about forgetting. It's remembering no more. That's, that's a difference. There's a big difference in forgetting and choosing to remember no more. God practices this non-remembrance of our sins. I think it's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. In Psalms 51.9, David is praying and he says, Hide your face from my sins and blot out my, all my iniquity. It's like there's a curtain that God has drawn. And of course, through the blood of Jesus, through the price that Christ has paid for our sins, there's a curtain drawn. Our sins exist. They happen. It's what we did, but there's this curtain, this payment, this curtain that has gone between them and, and God and satisfied now what God required for those sins. And so he chooses not to remember what's on the other side of that curtain and instead look at the price that was paid. And that's my, my personal take on this is that when our sins come up, he practices that. He practices seeing the price that was paid. It's not that he can't see, and if we had time, we could go through some scriptures because, believe me, if he wants to bring your sins up, he can do it. He can. He can do it. But we, with God's grace and mercy, can practice the art of remembering no more. Our sin and another person's sin against us. I don't have to deny that it happened. That's not even healthy. To have this confession, that never happened to me. That never happened to me. That's the elephant in the room. That never happened. That never happened. That never happened. But to say, I'm going to practice this beautiful gift that God gives, and I am going to choose to remember that sin no more is a powerful thing. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, that great chapter. I've read it at least five, five weddings this summer, I think. I always end up reading this chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, 5. It is not rude. What? Love, right? Love. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. And that is remembering no more. I'm not going to keep a record. Any of you guys journal? You have journals? I journal usually when I'm in trouble. Um, I journal usually when something's really heavy on my heart or going on in the church or going on in life, and I want to be able to watch the progression of my own thoughts, and I want to be able to look back and see how I handled it and see how God is speaking. But this is kind of like taking a journal of those sins that have been uh, committed against you, taking that journal and choosing. You know what's in that journal. You know the offenses that are in that book. You experienced every single one of them, but you're choosing to take that journal and remembering them no more. That's a, that's a lot different than telling yourself, forget, 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 forget. No, it's a step of grace and faith to say, no, I am going to choose to remember those sins no more. The third one is, and I, I mentioned this probably a couple of months ago, but it reoccurred to me when I was studying this whole topic, is that 
we can remember our own sins when we were dealing with trying to practice the art of not remembering others. Remember our own sins. And you're like, wait a minute, Tim. I don't want to remember my sins. I understand. I understand that. But it helps us sometimes to remember what God has forgiven us of. It helps us sometimes to look back on our life and go, wow, look what you've done, God. I remember when I was here, there, what went on this week and how I experienced your forgiveness. Maybe earlier in the service, in the worship, you experienced the presence of God and the peace of God. And, and you remember where you used to be and now where you are and what God has done. We need a mirror sometimes. We need a mirror that we can look into and we can see our own lives. You know, there are four mirrors in this room right now. Can anybody tell me where they are? Four mirrors. There are four communion stations around this room. And those are mirrors. And if you would want to call it, it's a sin walk from your chair to the communion table. Every time I approach that table, I am reminded that I approach the place where my sins were forgiven, where they continue to be forgiven. When I break the bread, I remember that the body of Jesus was broken for me, that his blood was spilt for me. And you say, that's depressing. No, that's the greatest news in the world. It's powerful to be reminded of what God, not so you slip into some depression, but going, Jesus, you forgave me. You have cleansed me of so much. Lord, let that grace and mercy work in my life. I'll, I'll tell you something else I do. Don't freak out when I pull this out. I, uh, I pray a prayer. It's become a, a, a nice discipline in my life. It's a prayer called the Jesus Prayer. And there's eight words in the Jesus prayer. And uh, anybody know what it is? Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. And uh, you saw Lucas in the video last week, our church planner up in Shalot. And he heard me talking about this one day, and he started using like prayer beads to pray with just to remind him of God's goodness. So he made this for me. There are eight big beads in here and eight little beads in between it. Now, there's nothing magical in these beads or anything like that. There's a cross here that my son and daughter-in-law brought back from China on a missions trip, bone that's been uh, carved out of bone. And so I tied it at the beginning one because I can go, Lord, it reminds me of who this is really all about. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. There's no one like him. And I can just go through Scripture, each eight. Each one of these beads is a different verse that I can recall about Lord Jesus, King, God himself, Jesus. Lord Jesus, my God has a name. He's not just some goo floating out there. My God expressed in humanity in Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, name above all names, the name which every knee is going to bow and every tongue confess, Jesus, Lord Jesus, have. He has it to give. He has the mercy to give. Lord Jesus, have what? Mercy 
I need mercy. I need mercy to forgive. I need mercy to be able to practice the art of not remembering when those sin against me or when I've been hurt and broken. Lord Jesus, have mercy, grace, kindness, generosity to me. Lord Jesus, have mercy on. If it doesn't come on me, it does me no good. If it stays in a book, it does me no good. If I don't experience it, if I don't sense it, if I don't, if I'm unable to live it out, it does me no good. Lord Jesus, have mercy on Not the person who offended me, but me. I need the mercy of God. First and foremost, when I walk to the table, I walk to the table for me, my sins. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. A, I'm talking about this dude. A, if I was the only person alive on the face of this planet, I would need your mercy. A, sinner, I miss you. I miss what you've called me to do many times and then I come back around to the cross again, to the Lord. Amazing how you can take something as simple as something to touch that reminds you, and then all of a sudden, you click into gear, and you begin to pray this prayer. And so, you don't, you don't have to use this. You can, you can use anything. But I need to be reminded occasionally of the sins that God has forgiven me of. When I approach the table, that sin walk. And lastly, let's remember who God is. Let's remember God. Let's not be like Israel in Judges 3, 7, where it says the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God. They forgot the Lord their God. We may be remembering all the things that have gone on to us and how we've been treated, but don't forget God. Don't forget Him. Psalms 103, verse 2. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Forget not all his benefits. As we practice the art of non-remembrance of those who have sinned against us, let's practice the art of remembering who God is and his goodness to us. And let me say this too. Remember this about God. He is really good with revenge. What did God say? Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Vengeance is mine. God is a God of justice. If those people who have hurt you and they have abused you, maligned you, do not find a place of repentance, if they do not fall on the rock, which is Jesus, this is what Scripture tells us, the rock will fall on them. Revenge is not ours. Revenge is the Lord's, and God is very good at vengeance. And we can trust him with that. Let's remember who God is. So let's quit keeping scores, 1 Corinthians 13 says. Let's, let's take the journals, and let's, let's take them and willfully go, I am choosing to not remember these. I know they're in here. I'm not asking to forget. I am making a decision not to read them and not to go over them over and over again. Yes, they happen. Yes, they've had an effect in my life, but I am choosing to practice not remembering anymore. Let's get a good mirror. Let's come to the table. Maybe we need to put a mirror up there. (laughs) Maybe if we put a mirror so we could all stare at the mirror, the bread and the wine and the juice would come alive to us as we realize it's there for us. Let's confront when it's necessary. 
And we need to do that. And let's forgive, even if it's seven times a day. If someone repents and asks for it, let's extend it. And let's trust God to be who He is. He's very good at dealing with these things. A lot better than we are in trying to handle people and manipulate people and put vengeance and wreak revenge on people. Not forgiving or the amount of forgiveness we extend is not limited by how much we forget, okay? I want us to take that off the table. I haven't forgotten it, Tim. I can't forget it. Well, maybe you can't, but you can choose. You can choose to begin to practice not remembering anymore. You can choose the blood of Jesus, the mercy of Christ, and begin to heal. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I ask for you to come now. I know there are many lives here this morning in this room. They deserve to be able to get revenge. They have been hurt, bruised, and battered. There's a story in every seat in this auditorium. But your grace is sufficient, Lord, and you are a God of justice, and but you're a God of mercy as well. And so I pray now, Lord, that we would begin to gather up that journal in our hearts and we would make a decision to practice remembering those sins no more. And God, I have to ask you this too. We need to do that with ourselves sometime. Some of us are held hostage not by the wonderful memory of what you've forgiven us, but what we've done and we don't trust your forgiveness We don't trust your mercy. We don't believe that in the cross there is enough power to forgive. Lord, I pray that in our own way we'll be able to know those sins are there so that we can thank you for forgiving us, but in the same, to remember them no more, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. God, come and be God. Majesty, our Lord. hope you enjoyed this podcast and were perhaps even challenged in some way to continue pursuing a closer relationship with God through Jesus. Here at Seacoast Vineyard Church, our vision is to worship God with passion, to reach out in Jesus' name with compassion, and to mature as a people of power and purpose. For more information, including our location and gathering times, visit www.seacoastvineyard.com.